Hi there, and thanks for joining us again on Teaching Together. This is the podcast where we talk through a single objective in detail in order to make our teaching of a chosen idea more impactful. I'm Dave Taylor, and I'm here with the author of the excellent Pondering Planning blog, Paul Rowlandson. Hi, Dave. Which objective are we looking at today, Paul? We're looking at understanding Pythagoras' theorem. You can follow along at home by downloading the slide deck of tasks from completemaths.com forward slash podcast. Today's objective is from Unit 11 of Stage 9 of the Complete Mathematics Curriculum. You can access this objective and the whole curriculum from Counting to Calculus at CompleteMaths.com for free. So without further ado, let's dive into Teach, Do, Practice, Behave with Understanding Pythagoras' Theorem. Before we teach pupils a new idea, we need to be sure that we're doing the right level of maths. If we're not and it's too easy, pupils are likely to be bored. But if the level of maths is too complex, we run the risk of developing the idea that maths isn't for everyone, and we know that everyone can learn maths well. We can check that we're doing the right maths by assessing prerequisite knowledge. So what are we expecting people to know before understanding Pythagoras' theorem, Paul? Well, Pythagoras' theorem is a wonderful topic in that it's quite a sophisticated concept, but it's based on, based on really basic mathematical skills. Uh, so if pupils know how to find the areas of squares given a length or calculate the length of a square given the area, and they know what right angle triangles are, then that's really enough for them to be able to access the majority of the tasks that we're going to look at today. Um, however, there are also a few bits of prerequisite knowledge that can help them further, such as the ability to substitute values into algebraic expressions, that include squares and square rooting, and solve equations like 64 plus x squared equals 100. And also knowing similar triangles and how they work can help them recognise Pythagorean triples a bit more easily as well. Nice. So on slide three, you put six questions on there, which are testing these prerequisite knowledge. Is this just a case of throwing this on the board and having kids work through it in what, what might be termed a settler? Yeah, I tend to use little skills like these in starter activities. Now, it might be in the starter activity during the first lesson on Pythagoras, and it kind of gives them some clues to what's about to happen. Or it might be done during some starter activities in the week before starting the Pythagoras unit. That way, if there are any problems with any of these questions, I, as a teacher, have a bit of time to work on them with the class before they need to use them in the Pythagoras unit of work, but mostly tend to be starters. Or even a homework, perhaps a couple of weeks earlier, might have some of these questions in as well. Nice. So when we are confident that pupils know this prerequisite knowledge, we're ready to teach. Um, and I think that in terms of understanding Pythagoras' theorem, there, there's a lot that maybe gets missed in the teaching of this. Um, so I've, I've gone down a bit of a, of a rabbit hole on Wikipedia. And I've written down a load of things about Pythagoras that we maybe don't get anywhere near. So this is Pythagoras of Samos. We're talking about 500 years BC. So about 2,500 years ago. And Pythagoras of Samos is created with discovering the Pythagorean theorem, the five platonic solids, the, sp the sphericity of the earth, and the sight of the planet Venus in the morning and the evening sky. And I mean... Oh, viewers can't see, I mean, listeners can't see um, Paul's face now, but you, you appear <laughs> shocked by this, Paul. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's. I feel like I'm in Gulliver's Travel, sort of discussing the philosophy of the universe. <laughs> I, I mean, didn't realise, I only really thought about all those things. Yeah, and it's it's crazy that we we tend to just boil this down to just the Pythagorean theorem, A squared plus B squared is C squared. And that's kind of where a lot of teaching sort of ends with it. 
Now, Walter Berker um, said, there is not a single detail in the life of Pythagoras that stands uncontradicted. And so I was at a, a conference session at an early maths conf with Chris Bolton presenting, and he did a bit on the history of maths. And apparently there is also a Pythagoras of Samos, who was an ancient Olympic gold medalist in boxing. <laughs> um, and this is before the the Pythagoras of Samos, who is the first man to call himself a philosopher, apparently. Now, philosopher just means lover of wisdom. And if that's the <laughs> case, I think that I'm a bit of a philosopher. Because <laughs> going down this rabbit hole, I really enjoyed this. Pythagoras of Samos won this Olympic gold medal after being excluded from boys' boxing and being mocked for being too effeminate. So after being excluded from the boys' boxing competition, he entered the men's competition and won. Now, if that's not like a story about resilience for, for pupils that we teach, I don't, I don't know what isn't. And then fast forward some years, you've got this Pythagoras of Samos who is a scholar, and Chris Bolton seemed to intimate that these two were the same person. The champion boxer becomes this philosopher, opens a school which is apparently called the Semicircle, which I don't want to go as far as saying was a bit of a cult, but it definitely resembled more of a monastery than a school. And Pythagoras, going back to what Walter Burkett said about contradiction, apparently never dealt with numbers at all. He was, like, the Pythagorean theorem was born out of his school, so I'm not going to call it the Pythagoras' theorem because I don't think it belongs to him. Mm. I think it belongs to his scholars. So, like, the Pyth Pythagoreans... They believe that the principles of mathematics are the principles of all things. And they believe things such as like odd numbers were masculine and even mm. numbers were feminine. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, Paul, but I definitely feel that that's the opposite way around. In my head, <laughs> if it was going to be anyway, then the even numbers are masculine and the odd numbers are feminine. But I, I don't know what no any comment. thoughts there. <laughs> no, no? Um, so I've gone down this. Uh, this whole thing. Now, apparently, Pythagoras was more of a religious teacher than a maths teacher. And one of his big things was metempsychosis, the belief that every soul is immortal and upon death enters a new body. Mm. Um, See, you mentioned about contradictions earlier with Pythagoras, because I, I heard about the reason why he, he died, and I don't know how true this story is, is that some um, soldiers have come to assassinate him. He tried to run away. He ran into a field that was full of beans. But because he believed that beans contained the souls of the dead, he didn't want to disturb the field. So he, he wouldn't run through it. And then the soldiers caught him and assassinated him. I don't know how true that story is, but yeah, it's actually, another contradiction. <laughs> yeah, the last thing that I put here is, and, and literally we go, we go through all of this history about Pythagoras and maybe Pythagoras, but maybe not Pythagoras, before we even get into that Vi Heart video, which is called What Was Up With Pythagoras? which definitely talks about the beans and murder. So that's, <laughs> all, that's all well and truly getting into before we even start to think about um, the Pythagorean theorem, right? Mm. There's a lot, there's, there seems to be a lot of great stories tied up with Pythagoras, and I think it's always great to share these stories with kids because it kind of brings maths alive in a, in a, a way that is not how can we use this in life kind of thing. It just it, People like stories. So all those things you mentioned there, there's lots of myths about them, like, for example, Pythagoras had a golden thigh, people believe, which is <laughs> just nonsense, I guess. Um, yeah, and then yeah. also the lovely story about um, how... Um, I think it, it wanted someone in his school 
uh, use Pythagoras' theorem to show that uh, the square root of two is not um, a rational number. And they sent they, they sent him out to sea and killed him because they didn't like the idea of the not being rational numbers. They didn't call it that at the time. But um, And then also that the school of Pythagoras, people had to wear pendants to show that they belonged to the school and they weren't allowed to own any possessions. There's all sorts of interesting, weird stories like that. I think it's, it's, it's a treasure mine for that sort of stuff. I absolutely agree. But let's go back to actually teaching <laughs> the understanding yeah. Pythagoras' theorem. So in the teach phase, the idea is entirely novel to pupils, though only just beyond their current level of understanding. The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphor and model to describe the new idea, adding to pupils' existing schemas so that pupils can meaning make and form connections with prior knowledge. So Paul, what's your chosen metaphor or model for teaching uh, understanding Pythagoras' theorem? I've gone with areas of squares. Um, for a long time, I introduced Pythagoras' theorem or the Pythagorean theorem as a relationship between three lengths on a right angle triangle. But the relationship is quite complex between the lengths and it's difficult to spot how 5, 12 and 13 fit in together. However, if we introduce Pythagoras' theorem as a relationship between the areas of three squares around a right angle triangle, then it's a much simpler relationship. So, for example, if you've got three squares with areas four, five and uh, nine, for example, it's fairly easy to spot how those numbers fit together with addition, much more easier than the lengths that matter. So slide four on the deck contains a dozen squares that are all in proportion with areas of one square centimetre, two square centimetres, three square centimetres and so on. So the areas are given rather than the lengths. Um, and the lengths are not really considered to begin with in this particular approach uh, for introducing Pythagoras' theorem. Nice. And those squares are something that you give to pupils to cut out and manipulate? Yeah. So they, they work in uh, twos or threes um, very quickly, try and get them to cut them out uh, as accurately as they can, but not spend the whole lesson with it. Um, and they conduct an investigation with it, which is an idea that I pinched from a guest on the Mr. Barton Maths podcast. But I can't remember which guest it was, but I was binge listening to a lot of them at the time. Um, but it's an investigation where students choose three squares. They join them together at the vertices to form a triangle. They look at the largest angle in the triangle and make a note of what type of angle it is, whether it's acute, obtuse or a right angle. And uh, through that investigation, uh, they aim to notice um, when it's obtuse, when it's acute and when it's a right angle. So to begin with, I, I would have those squares cut out myself um, in a teach phase. I would have them under a visualizer and I would simply demonstrate a task that students are about to perform themselves in the investigation. So I'd select three squares with areas three, four and five, put them together and note that the largest angle in the triangle is acute. And then I'll select squares three, four and nine, put them together and note that the largest angle is obtuse. And then finally, I'll select three squares with areas three, four, and seven, and notice that the large angle is a right angle this time. Yeah, this is something that I, I started showing kids a few years ago, um, the areas of squares thing, and, and starting off by focusing on the areas of squares. Uh, and this takes us through to um, slide six, where there is a, a video linked to on YouTube. When you click the image on slide six, it takes you to the video of this um, water demonstration. I call it a Pythagorean water demo in, in terms of the files that I've got. And it just shows that the two um, squares that are full of water fill the third square perfectly. And then how they then empty the, the, the larger square into the two smaller squares. Now, 
this just seems to be that like supercharged and and that i think that that's really important that people having this experience of moving these squares around because pupils learn from attaching things to their own experience right they they take an experience that they've had previously and then they they make meaning of it let's say in the abstract with numbers and this must be huge so a couple of years ago i also realized that a squared plus b squared plus equals c squared isn't it's not just something it's not just like a rule it's it's part of the relationships between those squares and that that acute and obtuse triangle thing and this was huge for me because this isn't anything that I'd, I'd sort of realized before i didn't realize that a squared plus b squared equals c squared was a single special case of the relationship between these squares it was just it was just something that i knew that that worked and i i thought this was just a thing whereas it's not a squared and b squared and c squared have relationships and they lead to different triangles and it never occurred to me before a few years ago that this was something worth looking at yeah absolutely it's um i think you can even talk about what why um when the square is smaller it ends up being acute and why when the square is bigger it ends up being obtuse and why when it's just right it's a right angle um but to give students a bit of experience just putting the squares together to try and notice it for themselves. Because it's a very simple thing to notice um, uh, rather than it being a really complex kind of thing to discover. It's just a little simple thing to experience uh, putting these different squares together. Yeah, nice. Now we'll transition out of the teach phase and next we're looking for pupils to do. Now that we've looked at teach, let's talk about do. In this phase of our learning episode, pupils are simply replicating what they have been shown. In most cases, this is likely to be a procedure which leads to a solution and complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with the new procedure. The teacher is responsive to pupils, amending their model or example as necessary, maintaining pupil motivation and making stronger connections in pupils' schema. The aim of this stage is for pupils to be successful in replicating the novel idea. And it's important to state that just because they can do, meaningful learning hasn't yet occurred. So this is about replication. And how are you going about this, Paul? So after watching my demonstration of what they're about to do, pupils then work in pairs of three to do the same thing. They select three squares, they write down the areas, join together the squares at the vertices, and write down the largest angle is acute, obtuse, or right angle. And there's a sheet that contains the instructions and a table from to note down the findings along the way, which we've included on slide seven. I'll leave students to do this um, just for themselves in groups uh, until they've got about half a dozen rows filled out. That might take about three or four minutes, but it's quite a quick task just to put the squares together and, and look at the size of the angle. Then I'll stop the class and instruct the students that from now on, they should select the three squares, but before joining together, they should predict whether the largest angle is obtuse, acute, or right angle, and then join together to check if their prediction is correct. And this encourages students then to look back over their previous results to try and spot patterns of when it's obtuse, when it's a acute, and when it's a right angle in particular. And eventually, will then shift the focus towards just the right angles. I'll ask them to make as many combinations as they can that form right angle triangles. And usually at this point, students will notice that it's when the two smaller areas add up to the bigger area. Yeah, that sounds really great. 
Um, and then on slide eight, we've got um, what I'm going to say is more like a traditional textbook exercise, mm. um, if that makes sense, whereby pupils are then using this this newfound knowledge that they've got. Yeah. So um, I think in between um, slide seven and eight, it's probably where I would put that video in by way of the water, because at this point, they've, they've come to that conclusion and it shows it really nicely. The exercise on slide eight turns it around. So rather than students selecting the squares and looking to see how big the largest angle is, uh, in the exercise on slide eight, the squares are already given to them and they need to use what they've learned to decide whether it's a right angle or not. So, for example, in questions one, two and three, the areas of the squares are given to them. So they just need to check, do the areas of the two smaller squares add up to the area of the bigger square? And then as we go through the worksheet, it aims to gradually shift the focus away from the areas of the squares to the lengths of the triangles. So questions uh, four, five, and six, which is the next row, they um, have the squares still, but it gives them the lengths of the squares rather than the areas of the squares. So students have to calculate the areas themselves by squaring each of the lengths and then check to the smaller ones add up to the bigger one. And then the third row, which is seven, eight, and nine, it's kind of the same again, but to try and put more attention on the triangles, the triangles in the middle are shaded in and the squares on the outside are um, unshaded and dashed and the lengths gradually wrap more around the triangle. So, for example, question nine, all the lengths are on the triangle. We can still see the squares. So you're still doing the same idea there. And then the bottom row, you can't see the squares at all. It's just the triangles and students have to imagine the squares coming off if they want to or draw them on and check to the areas of the small squares add up to the big square or just if you square the two smaller numbers on the triangle does it add up to the biggest uh, square of the biggest length no i think that's a really well um a well sequenced uh, activity there paul um well done thank you <laughs> i don't know what to say for that <laughs> okay. having worked through the teaching do phases and we've now developed fluency we're now segueing into the practice phase of our learning episode, and that's coming up next. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing, and it's quite common that a maths lesson doesn't get this far. Pupils tend to perform with a new idea, literally doing, but don't form connections between the novel idea and their existing schema, and this affects retention. Pupils are now fluent with the process, so we can redirect their attention from replicating to analysing underlying structures, relationships and principles, developing connections with prior knowledge. We're looking for a well-structured and intelligently designed exercise that will aid pupils in forming links. So what kind of activity might the teacher be using here? So... It's very similar to the last activity, apart from it completely flips it on its head. So rather than students using what they've learned to see if a triangle is right-angled or not, they are told that these triangles are right-angled and they need to then find a missing measurement of some sort. So to begin with, we start by focusing on just area again. So you've got the areas of the two small squares. You can see it's a right-angled triangle and you're asked, what's the area of the biggest square? So you just need to add together the two areas. And then in question two, you need to subtract the two areas to get one of the smaller squares and same with question three. And then we start to shift gradually the focus towards lengths again and find a missing lengths. So, for example, on questions um, four onwards in the activity on the slide deck, uh, you can see you've got, you can see the squares 
and the areas are given to them, but they're asked to find the length of the largest square. So they'll need to add together the two areas and then square root it to get a length. And then you can still see the squares in questions five and six, but all the lengths are given to them. So they need to find the areas of the squares and then square root the whichever square they uh, have a missing length for to find the missing length of the triangle. Then question seven, eight, nine, um, up to 12 onwards, they, you can't see the squares anymore. You've just got the triangles. They look like very traditional Pythagoras fluency sorts of questions. Uh, however, they are all Pythagorean triples or they have uh, rational answers up to question 11, I think. And then uh, question 11 and 12 uh, really introduced them to the idea of you will always get nice, lovely decimals or terminating decimals in every single question. But ultimately, they are applying what they learn during the teach and do phase in a different way to what they are used to. And and I do like this. I think it's a lot different to the, to the traditional, hey, guys, here's the Pythagorean theorem, a squared plus b squared equals c squared. Here are some triangles. Go at this, you know, work out these missing lengths. They, they've got a lot more to... Uh, to draw on here all this all this work with the with the squares so the the square actually makes sense kids don't seem to see the links between square numbers and squares a lot which is maddening to be honest because they don't see that two as a square they they see it as as an instruction to do something to it to multiply by itself as opposed to as the square numbers being the areas of squares yeah absolutely and the most recent time i taught this I didn't even show them the Pythagorean formula, really. The A squared plus B squared C squared, they haven't really seen that or, or come across it up, you know, up to this point, to be honest with you. They've just learned that when it's a right-angle triangle, the areas of the two smaller squares add up to the area of the bigger square. They've learned it in that sort of prosaic form rather than it being a procedural formula at this point. Um, so at, when they did this exercise, it was mostly just with that concept of these things shut up to this thing rather than... I should plug numbers into a formula and, and solve in that sort of way. That kind of came after this. No, I, I love the fact that we're, we're building up to this formula, which may normally be the way that we introduce it potentially in a, in a traditional classroom. And they're making these really strong connections. And after pupils have formed these strong connections, assimilating the idea into their schema, we're looking at them behaving mathematically. In order to make mathematicians, this phase is the most important of all, as we deepen understanding through behaving mathematically. Unfortunately, we suspect that the behave phase is often cut short or is missing entirely from learning episodes, as teachers feel pressure to cover this scheme of learning. When behaving mathematically, maturation matters, and with this in mind, tasks are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. A good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years. So we're looking for pupils to transition from specialising to conjecturing and generalising through to analysing and reasoning with a related idea from two stages previous. Now, with that in mind, um, I've brought forward the task on slide 10. Um, and you may have seen this called the tilted squares activity. So what it is, is it's a square at an angle um, and you're asked to find uh, the area of the square. Now, Paul, um, what you said that when you looked at this, you said that you looked at this and you went, I don't really need Pythagoras for that. Yeah, on first glance, I just thought, oh, you could you could box it all off, find the area of the bigger square, and then find the areas of the four triangles and subtract them. And, and students could do that way before they learned uh, Pythagoras' theorem. They could probably do it by, by the time they get to secondary school. 
Um, so it's a, it's it's it was a problem that I thought oh, we don't need Pythagoras for that. But then knowing Pythagoras's theorem um, actually makes that problem so much easier to solve. Uh, oh, I just thought it was really nice is uh, uh, to not always see maths as learning to solve more and more and more problems, but to see getting better at maths is being able to take a problem that you've solved before and solve it in a more sophisticated, efficient way, uh, which is what Pythagoras does for this, this situation. Yeah, I thought that was a really nice way to phrase that. And then on slide 11, you've brought two activities for us to look at. Yeah, so I think these will come some stage afterwards, uh, and it aims to do two things. So on the left, you've got two problems that look identical in every single detail apart from one number. They both say, find the distance between the following coordinates. And in one question, you've got 3, 2, and 6, 6. And the other question, you've got 3, 6, and 6, 6. So there's only the 2 and the 6 uh, that change between them. And what it aims to show students is that uh, not all questions that look the same require the same strategy. For example, in the top one, you will need to use Pythagoras' theorem to find the distance between those two coordinates. But on the bottom one, you don't because the two coordinates are across from each other. So the distance is just is just three, uh, the difference in the x values. Uh, so you don't need Pythagoras' theorem for that. Whereas the, the problem on the right is a really nasty clock face uh, sort, of, sort of problem. And it aims to show students that not all Pythagoras problems look the same. They don't all look like they have really obvious right angle triangles in. Sometimes you have to really uh, work hard to abstract the right angle triangle out of the image. And that's what that problem tried to show there. Yeah, on the second one, I sat staring at that for about three minutes before I then realised that um, it's just a clock face that's been rotated 30 degrees. And so if I if I rotate that 30 degrees anti-clockwise, the, the red line goes from 12 to 3. And that just makes so much more sense as being a right angle triangle with lengths of 12 and 12. And that makes that really easy. But just the the fact that it is rotated makes it a lot more challenging. And it, it means that people have to really think about what they're doing. Absolutely. The common theme in that slide is I think students often get used to saying, oh, I, I recognize Pythagoras theorem questions. They all look like this. And they don't all look like that. Sometimes it's really obscure or sometimes things look like Pythagoras questions and they're not really. And I think that's mostly what, what they try and get across. That brings us to the end of this episode of Teaching Together. Remember that you can access the entire curriculum for free at completemaths.com. That's over 1,800 objectives from early years mathematics to A-level further maths. We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode, and if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. My handle is at TaylorDA01. And my handle is at Mr. Rowlandson, with an underscore between the Mr. and the Rowlandson. Or you can get in touch with Complete Maths on at Ed. Or I'm available on email at dave at completemaths.com. And I'm available on pfrollinson at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, feel free to leave a review and please pass the pod to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our teaching together. Until next time, take care. <laughs> <laughs>